Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. What do you think? Do you think there is an overthrow the government fetish, as Adam Kinzinger argues there? Absolutely. There's a delusional fetish. There is just a disconnect with reality. We know Joe Biden won the election. And these folks are showing up because on January 6th, there was a group of people who wanted to overthrow our government and did not believe what actually voters decided to do. And then they're coming back on Saturday to make the point uh, a second time. This is not the first time a rally has a reunion, so to speak. It happened when Charlottesville, um, neo-Nazis, Nazis marched in the street and they came back to unite the right. But the thing that is so disgusting to me is the same Republicans who will not condemn Saturday's attendees or the rally are the same ones blasting the Biden administration about Afghanistan. And when I look at the people who come on Saturday, I draw very close pa- parallels to the Taliban. And the culture war issues that have dominated debates in the past and see movement towards majority consensus. Take same-sex marriage. According to the most recent Gallup poll, a record 70% of Americans now believe in equal rights on the issue, up from 27% back in 1996. Or marijuana legalization. Gallup shows it's reached a new high with 68% support last November. And given the recent restrictive Texas abortion law, it's worth noting that nearly 60% of Americans oppose completely overturning Roe v. Wade. Now look, some folks will be surprised to see supermajorities supporting the same broad positions. But that's because of our hyperpartisan politics. It's a structural problem, particularly in Congress. For example, the U.S. Senate is literally divided 50-50. But the states that Democrats represent contain roughly 41 million more people. I think we have to stop coddling people when it comes to this and the vaccine saying, oh, you can't shame them. You can't call them stupid. You can't call them silly. Yes, they are. The people who aided and abetted Trump are stupid because they believed his big lie. The people who are not getting vaccines, who are believing the lies on the Internet instead of science, it's time to start shaming them. What else? Or leave them behind because they are keeping the majority of Americans behind. You didn't feel that way about the polio vaccine. You don't feel that way about measles, mumps, rubella when it comes to your children. And all of a sudden this vaccine is different. What's different about it? The only different thing about it is because of your politics today. The, The people talk about, well, I don't know what's in the shot, Chris. I don't know what's in that shot. I'll tell you what's not in it. Hold on. A tracking device. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me let me finish this. You know, what's you know what they, they get shots in nowadays in their rear end. Don't touch him. 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 Don
his own fucking people and running for governor. For what? He has one year to do if he even wins. He can't do shit. He wouldn't be able to get nothing done. So why is he running? Democrats control everything. He couldn't get nothing done. Conservative radio host and opposition frontrunner Larry Elder says he is running to save California from Newsom's policies. People are angry. People are, are, are furious. But despite a double-digit lead over other challengers, have widespread support. During a campaign event overnight, several homeless people chasing him away, someone throwing an egg in his direction. A third of all small businesses are now gone forever because he refused to allow us to use our own common sense, our own good judgment. Republican frontrunner and talk radio host Larry Elder says he'll repeal mask and vaccine mandates. He was heckled by homeless advocates Wednesday, one of whom threw an egg at the candidate during an L.A. campaign stop. Elder is currently leading four dozen candidates. Both Republican and Democrat donors have spent millions on the recall, but Newsom's backers have raised almost double the amount of all of his opponents. Now, Democrats say energizing people to actually get out and vote is key to a win on Tuesday. Now that they started to see and research, like, who is actually trying to... Uh, a new book reports that near the end of the Trump presidency, Chairman Milley had two conversations with his Chinese counterpart, promising the countries would not go to war and that he would give an early warning if something were to happen. In a statement just minutes ago, Chairman Milley did not dispute this account. Uh, on this, does the president feel that these calls were appropriate? Does he have confidence in the chairman? And some Republican senators have called for Chairman Milley to be dismissed. Is he going to keep his job? Well, uh, I saw the statement, of course, uh, that the Department of Defense, or I should say the Joint Chiefs spokesperson, uh, just relieved, minute, released minutes ago. I'm not going to add more or speak to anonymous, unconfirmed reports about conversations with limited context from here. Uh, but what I can assure you all of is that the President knows General Milley. He has been chairman of the Joint Chiefs for almost eight months of his presidency. They've worked side by side through a range of international events. Uh, and the president has complete confidence in his leadership, his patriotism, and his fidelity to our Constitution. Since you gave me the opportunity, I just wanted to add, uh, I think it's important to consider uh, some of the context, uh, key context of this period in time, of time in history that we're discussing and is outlined or covered in portions of uh, this book. He promised on September 9th that he was going to send 50% more supply of monoclonal antibodies to states. Yet, the Biden administration is cutting supplies in red states by 50 percent. So, for example, uh, you know, in Florida, they were expecting to get 70,000 doses this week, which they say they need. They're only getting 30,000 doses. And this is not just for unvaccinated people. In South Florida, half the people who are seeking this treatment are fully vaccinated. So why is the Biden administration cutting these supplies? 
That's not accurate. So let me give you the accurate information. Uh, first of all, we are increasing our distribution this month by 50%. In early August, we were distributing an average of 100,000 doses per week. Now we're shipping an average of 150,000 doses per week. Over the last month, though, uh, and one thing that I think people need to understand for clarity, facts, I know, I know you're like facts, um, is that monoclonal antibodies are life-saving therapies that are used after infection to prevent more severe outcomes. So clearly the way to protect people and save more lives is to get them vaccinated so that... Can you explain a little bit more about why the White House in a statement is calling the Taliban business-like and professional? then why is it that you're trying to require anybody with a job or anybody who goes to school to get the COVID-19 vaccine, but you are not requiring that of migrants that continue walking across the southern border? And we really did ask to this course and a need for this meeting. I'm delighted to join President Biden and uh, Prime Minister Boris. Thank you, Boris. And I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 21st of September, year of our Lord, 2021. And, and is there any better example of what media bias is than the Larry Elder incident? What would happen if a black man who had a D behind his name was egged by a white woman in a gorilla mask? Anybody? There's been so much bullshit since I did my last podcast. It's hard to encapsulate it all. But the general theme is the same. Our media is only for one team. They hate anybody who doesn't think like them. And we're going to continue down this road that when really bad things happen, we're going to talk about January 6th. We're going to talk about right-wing extremism. We're going to talk about stuff that doesn't exist because American people are stupid and they believe it. I mean, you even have Avalon talking about 70% of the country's Democrat. Do you, do you believe that? No, because you answer a poll doesn't certain way doesn't mean that's actually what people think. But I really want to start once again with 9-11 before we get to our big subject of the day. Because it says everything. We've been doing this for 20 years. And for 20 years, the media has always said subtly we had that shit coming so you're saying that this is essentially a way for us to sugarcoat that we're really only talking about attacks from muslim brown guys from overseas because one of the justifications for the intelligence apparatus the counterterrorism infrastructure that we've built is hey you know what since 9 11 we haven't had that type of an attack. That's correct. That this was never going to be an enterprise that cared a thing about, say, white terror training camps. The lives of millions of Americans changed overnight after the attacks on September 11th, 20 years ago this week. For Muslim Americans, not only did they have to deal with an attack on their own country, which in some cases meant the loss of family and friends, but also with the rise of Islamophobia that followed. You know, today is September 12th, and it's the 20th anniversary today of the date many people 
This was the new world. This was the first yeah. morning of the new world where we came together and we were unified. And you heard a lot of that in President Bush's extraordinary speech yesterday in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, which led a lot of people to wonder why we haven't been more unified in this moment as we face nearly 700,000 American deaths from COVID-19. No, I look, this is what's uh, colored all the remembrances this week, and it's this, uh, to, to look at the two, I guess the best way to look at the two battles that, that the country engaged in. We had an outside invader, in and so we were able to unite. We had a common enemy. With COVID, this invisible enemy, we're not able to do it. I think that sense of vulnerability, the sense that we are under attack, that there's forces out there that are meant to hurt us, I think um, that came into sharp relief that day, and I think there's a through line between that and Donald Trump, you know, where our politics um, kept evolving and, and degenerating to the point where a, a political force like Trump could say, this person's out to get you, this person will hurt our way of life. Um, you know, watch out for the, you know, for the Mexicans and the immigrants and, of course, the Muslims uh, and then the Chinese. I think that in these 20 years, just to add on to what David was just talking about, we've seen a lot of what I think of as one step, one giant step forward and then two giant steps back. One giant step forward was the election of Barack Obama as president of the United States, first black president. Um, but a huge step back was the election of Donald Trump. It's Michael of marking these moments of history, of preserving these stories, and, and frankly, bringing people together around them. Because all of us should be able to unite around the idea that we're saving our democracy. That's what those people were doing, those heroes on Flight 93 and elsewhere 20 years ago tomorrow. Our democracy tonight is as much in danger, I think, as it was in 1860 before the Civil War and in 1940 before Pearl Harbor. It's always us. Islamophobia. It's the white people, those Christians, red voters. Anybody who doesn't think like us, they're the threat. Should we get to our big subject of the day, General Milley? And the Woodward book, I, I just can't even imagine what would happen if the opposite was, the inverse was true. If Millie was a conservative and he did this stuff under Barack Obama. I just don't know. How many fucking impeachments would there be? But our media, they have no problem with it. So, Ed, I know that uh, most people are talking about what General Milley is alleged to have done, and that's according to a book that's been written that is upcoming uh, by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa at The Washington Post. But but let's talk about what the, the, the reason why General Milley may have reached out to his counterparts. That, to me, is more significant than what I am told by every senior military officer that I've spoken to in the last couple of days who have said to me, this is what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff would be doing. Let's talk about why he was doing it. What was the reason why General Milley wanted to reach out to his counterparts um, in China based on what he was seeing in the White House? Based on the reporting in the book, it was concerned that the president was slipping into some kind of mental anguish 
and that he might try to lash out specifically at China by launching some kind of an attack. So in October, before the election last fall, and then again in early January, just two days after the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, he reached out to his Chinese counterpart and essentially said, you were The most shocking thing when you take all of this reporting into account, and I've been talking to some former Trump officials as well as some allies of President Trump, the most shocking thing is that people within the Trump administration thought President Trump was crazy. They thought that he was someone who could not be trusted to head the military and to be the commander in chief. Of Jeremy, on, on sort of the broader conversation that's been happening in the days since um, Bob Woodward and Bob Costa's um, excerpts of their book, Peril, have come out, I've, I've been wanting to ask your thoughts about, first, General Milley's conduct, which he is defending. And um, a lot of people are saying that when all the adults and the guardrails and everyone else failed or couldn't take Donald Trump anymore, he stayed and protected the country and did the right thing. And but over in delusional America, um, where disinformation rules the day, there are calls for his firing and worse. Your thoughts? Trump rogue. The book bombshell. America's top general worried then President Trump would spark a war with China. We'll tell you the dramatic steps he took to make sure Trump wouldn't launch a nuclear weapon. Last fall, the nation's top military officer, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley, feared then-President Trump might create a crisis that would allow him to declare a national emergency and stay in power despite losing the election. He placed a secret call to his Chinese counterpart, assuring him the U.S. had no intention of striking. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time, the authors quote Milley as saying. He made a second call to China after the storming of the Capitol, saying, we are 100% steady, everything's fine. <laughs> after the Capitol riot, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called Milley as safeguards were in place to prevent Trump from starting a nuclear war. A transcript of the phone call obtained by Woodward and Costa quotes her as saying, he's crazy. According to the transcript, Milley replied, I agree with you on everything. The book, titled Peril, says Milley told nuclear control officers they had to check with him first, no matter what orders they received from the president. He's looking at Donald Trump. He's worried about January 6th. And he also knows that uh, the Chinese have been rattled by Trump's behavior and by his failure to concede. And he is making sure every precaution is in place. In the book, it speculates that this news uh, might prompt some individuals to to criticize Milley for say for saying for suggesting uh, that that Milley overstepped his authority, that he was doing something that he doesn't have the right to do. Correct. Some people may, but Marco Rubio called for his resignation. I think I, I think there are going to be some politics involved here, and I don't think Marco Rubio has read the book yet. I would suggest people read the book and and look at it in context. It is true that he is not, as chairman of the Joint Chiefs, in the chain of command. However, he is the most senior military official. He is the advisor to the president. He has tremendous authority. And what he was doing here was making sure the guardrails were up, that there wasn't some kind of act. 
Woodward and Costa report that General Mark Milley was holding secret back-channel communications with his Chinese counterpart, even going so far as making promises to a hostile nation. Then there are the parts of the book where Milley was reportedly going around the commander-in-chief, taking secret action to protect nuclear weapons. When is that okay? When is it not? Milley reportedly told senior military officials not to take orders from anyone unless he was involved. Moves like that had my next guest, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, tweeting. Here's one of them. If this true general, if this true, if this is true, uh, General Milley must resign. He usurped civilian authority, broke chain of command, and violated the sacrosanct principle of civilian control over the military. It's an extremely dangerous precedent. You can't simply walk away. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, facing calls to resign following bombshell revelations in a new book by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. Joining us now to talk about this is Miles Taylor, former chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security. The president's own hand-picked top U.S. military advisor is saying he thinks that the president of the United States is in such a serious mental state that he takes steps to protect the country. Now, John, if you or I had a mental health issue, it would be a concern to friends or family. When it's the commander in chief, it's a five alarm fire for That's what Mark Milley saw. That's what we saw when I was in the administration. And I think he probably was trying to take the appropriate actions to prevent the situation from spiraling out of control. There are all kinds of quotes in the books from senior named people who thought that the president was off, to put it politely, the former president during this time, to be sure. And I'm so glad you put this in the larger context of security of the country. But there are those taking issue with some of the specific actions that General Milley took, namely phone calls with his Chinese counterpart. What General Milley told General Lee, L.I., his counterpart there was, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything is going to be OK. We're not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations against you. General Lee, you and I have known each other for five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. Now, should the top general in the United States, top military advisor to the president, be telling the Chinese general that I'm going to warn you about military action going forward in and of itself. Is that of concern? The bigger point isn't that Milley was calling his counterpart, which is something that happens every day in our government. They talk to their foreign counterparts to keep communication open. The bigger issue is that for some reason, the president's top military advisor was worried about us maybe going to war with China. And not just Milley, right? You had top administration officials who were worried that Trump might start some kind of foreign altercation to give himself some cover for perpetuating the big lie and trying to hang on to power in the U.S. Uncertainty about whether he would just turn a tweet into an actual torpedo overnight or that his bombastic rhetoric would actually mean bombs were being dropped. So the White House basically and President Trump back then, uh, former President Trump, would actually know about the conversation before taking place and would know what happened in the conversation. So for him to say if the allegations made in the book uh, by Woodward and, and Costa were, were true, then the chairman should be put on trial for, for treason. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, these are not my words. These are what, yeah. what Look, I, I can't speak to processes before this administration took office. I just can't. I, I, as much as I know you'd like me to, I, I just can't do that. Uh, and it is a, sort of a dramatic telling of some of the final days of the Trump 
administration uh, with Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff Milley uh, talking to his Chinese counterpart not once but twice, once a few days before the election and then twice, the second time, a little bit after the insurrection, trying to tell the Chinese that, look, you know, we've established a report here, you and I, his counterpart, saying nothing's going to happen, we're not going to go to war, and if something were to suddenly occur on our end, I would be sure personally to give you a heads up so we can judge or deal with this together. That revelation there, as a final point, uh, is also being met with swift criticism from other Republicans today here in Washington, Senator Cruz and others suggesting that's almost traitorous behavior uh, from Milley to talk to the Chinese like that. And in fact, Senator Rubio called for Joe Biden to fire him. Yeah, okay. Uh, good luck with that, because he seems to be the greatest patriot uh, that was on duty during the previous administration. They're upset that he's calling a leader in China saying, don't think you can take advantage of the United States of America. Democracy can be chaotic, but we're strong. We're solid. President Biden expressed complete support today for the nation's highest ranking military officer. I have great confidence in General Milley. First and foremost, when the fuck were we attacking China? And you know you have a bubbling idiot in the White House. A guy who literally can't remember people's names. I mean, he forgot the freaking Prime Minister, the guy down under. But this is all the narrative. Once again, when everything's a lie and you get away with it, you can do whatever you want. You're able to just do whatever the fuck you want. And... We've said it over and over and over and over on this show. What General Milley was doing was not within his purview. General Milley is a political general. We had on the last show 130 admirals and generals say he needs to be relieved because he's gone too far. And in my new line of work, which I despise with every ounce of my fucking fiber... I have had conversations with people, and I will tell you right now, to the soldier, officer, I don't give a fuck who they are. He needs to go. What he did is not what a general can do. And no, Joe Scarborough, he didn't say this is democracy and democracy's messy he said if we attack i'll tell you first well that was completely weird the whole damn thing just shut down and the voice was not synced and had to reset the audio this is what happens when you don't podcast it, it just happens but uh, this story sums up everything in our world everything it's a hundred percent bullshit so to date, this guy lied about troop strengths, did kinetic energy with attacks without authorization, called everybody who didn't vote for Biden a Nazi, and was talking to foreign leaders without authorization. This is the second phone call thing. Second. We have Biden telling the the uh, Afghan guy to fucking lie because it's bad PR that the Taliban's taken over the whole country. And now you have General Milley telling China, we're not going to attack you. 
but that's okay. Yeah. Th this this entire incident, Rand Paul. I don't care what you think of President Trump, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs working to subvert the military chain of command and collude with China is exactly what we do not accept for the military leaders in our country. He should be court-martialed if true. The Secretary of Defense did not authorize these calls. I'm told this is not true. There were 15 people on the video teleconference Jennifer Grant, uh, Jennifer Griffin says that he wasn't solo on one of them. John Hayward, Millie's treason is landmark in the evolution of the Great Reset, which began with the formation of the deep state, the notion that a sizable amount of government power must be protected from voters. As I like to say, democracy rebooted is an authoritarian core. The totalitarian left passionately believes there should be an elite core of government bureaucrats with correct ideology and party credentials who are not subject to the winds of voters. Of course, this list of issues that should not be subject to the will of the American electorate grows longer all the time. The Great Reset is a whole new political operating system, not not one of the authoritarian patches the left have uploaded over a year. The permanent bureaucracy formed first a vast horde of unelected, unionized public servants. And he goes on and on, and all of it's true. We've seen it in every phase of Trump's presidency. There were unelected people who were Democrats doing whatever the fuck they want, working against the president, not letting the president do shit. That's this whole thing about Trump was so dangerous to democracy. No, you're dangerous to democracy because a duly elected president that wasn't elected by Russia, which is still a lie that goes on every fucking day in our media, wasn't allowed to do shit. He was blocked from doing everything by people that were never voted for. Dan Bishop, this report is true. General Milley didn't act heroically as his leftist media allies are pretending. He sold America out. An AR-15-6 investigation is the Army primary tool for gathering, and they need to do one. They will not. He will get away with this, just like he was getting away with all the white rage bullshit and all the crap we've talked about on this show. This general is what is the fear of the left forever. Somebody with the guns doing their bidding. Glenn Greenwald, watching liberal media stars spend five years trying to thread the needle between we are so grateful to the unelected but noble generals thwarting Trump and only insane conspiracy nuts believe the U.S. is a deep state has been quite puzzling. The other bizarre aspect of the last five years is watching these same liberal media figures prance around as defenders of norms and democratic values while simultaneously swooning over every unelected military intel official who fucked over Trump. In U.S. government jargon, Democratic leaders has always meant leaders who do not do what we want regardless of how they came to power. Hence, pro-U.S. dictators are Democrats, while anti-U.S. elected leaders are dictators. That's the same definition liberal media figures have. It was widely reported in major outlets like Wall Street Journal that CIA on its own was concealing classified information they didn't want Trump to have. 
Imagine if in 2011 a right-wing general called Gaddafi and said, Obama wants to bomb your country and usher in regime change against you, even though the House voted against its authorization. I give you my word. I'll let you know he's planning to bomb you. Perfect. Perfect. Perfect analogy. The media would be calling for their head. But it's Trump. I mean, I think he nails it. How many times did you see some media talking head, Trump is destroying our norms. It's all about the norms. While they were destroying norms. The simple concept of a president being elected they didn't want was norm number one they destroyed. But their fear was always a right-wing general, so they made a left-wing general. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, happy Monday. Just for fun sometime, give a little civics test to people in your neighborhood. Ask them, if you wanted to take over a country, how would you do it? And here's the answer you are likely to get from all of them. They would say, well, first, you've got to get the most votes. They're Americans. That's what they believe. And they believe it because that's how things have worked in this country for hundreds of years. It's called representative democracy. But we should remember that that is not at all how things work in most other places or ever have. They don't have representative democracy. In most places, at most times, if you wanted to take over a country, First, you had to control its military, the guys with guns, as Mark Milley once memorably put it. The army is essential for political control. Government dictates have no meaning without the credible threat of force to back them up. Guns are to laws what gold is to paper currency. It gives it value and strength. In a democratic system, the military serves and protects the entire population, no matter who they voted for. That's what democracy is. In an authoritarian system, by contrast, the army is the enforcement apparatus of a specific political party. That's the difference between the two systems. It's worth remembering that, given what we're seeing happen all around the world right now. The German Defense Ministry, for example, recently announced it's dismantling its best-trained special operations unit. That's called the KSK. Dozens of KSK operators have recently been fired. Now, none of them have committed any kind of crime, The ruling party in Germany simply determined that they were not loyal enough. They had the wrong political view, so they got canned. As the German defense minister put it, the KSK has, quote, come under the influence of an unhealthy understanding of elites. An unhealthy understanding of elites, says the elite? Has there ever been a more revealing quote than that? In other words, anyone who doesn't think we're impressive must be fired immediately. Does that sound familiar to you? It should, because it's not just happening in Germany. In Australia, which until recently was a pretty free country, politicians just called in the military to enforce their totalitarian COVID restrictions using violence if necessary, and it is sometimes necessary. Sydney is under martial law. Now, that is a shocking attack on the Western understanding of civil liberties, the most basic civil liberties. And yet the Australian government, most of its media and its intellectual class refuse even to acknowledge that. Instead, they insist that the real threat to Australia is, are you ready for this? White supremacy. Ah, once again, sound familiar? It goes without saying that none of this has anything to do with COVID or racism, obviously. 
It's about power. That's all it's about. In this country, the slide from democracy began earlier this year, just after Joe Biden's inauguration. The new Secretary of Defense, a defense industry shill called Lloyd Austin, explained that his very first and single most pressing job was to root out what he referred to as extremism in the U.S. military. Hmm. He put the entire military on hold to do this. So the question is, what is this extremism? What does it consist of? But Lloyd Austin never told us. And yet, if you want to know the answer, you will notice how very excited, how thrilled members of one specific political party were when they heard this news. We absolutely need to look at uh, uh, any type of white supremacists that are still members of the military and how they're being targeted for recruitment by, by white supremacist groups. And we need to weed this out. This whole idea of uh, police officer on police officer violence with those officers who have been turned by white extremists is really scary to me. And I know it's got to be scary for the other police officers. I am considering legislation to create a standalone a punitive article in the Uniform Code of Military Justice to, to address violent extremism in the ranks and to, to send a message of deterrence that this kind of conduct will not be tolerated in the military. We've seen a lot of reports highlighting how many of the attackers were veterans. Um, and there's been really a growing recognition that the military has to do more to address extremism in its ranks. White supremacy in the military is a crisis, said the most unscrupulous people in Washington. But that's not what it was about. What you just saw on tape was, in fact, a power grab. The message, no one who does not support our political party is allowed to bear arms. That's what they're saying very clearly. And because it's the Democratic Party doing the talking here, there was also, needless to say, a vicious racial angle, too, because there always is. Watch Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee explain. The guard is 90 some odd percent, I believe, male. Um, only about 20 percent of white males voted for Biden. you got to figure that in the guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media and we know it, they're probably not more than 25 percent of the people that are there protecting us who voted for Biden. The other 75 percent are in the class that would be uh, the, the large class of folks who might want to uh, uh, do something. So if you're white, you're dangerous, says a sitting member of Congress. That clip was from January. Of course, that was the same month that Lloyd Austin announced he was cracking down on this extremism. Then a few months later, reading from the same song sheet, Mark Milley told the U.S. Congress he was working to root out white rage in the military. Okay. And yet after all of this, because we're keeping score, as of today, we're not aware of a single white supremacist on active duty who has been discovered by the Pentagon and fired. Not one. So that threat didn't exist at all. It was fake. That was all a lie. Several National Guard troops were relieved of duty around the inauguration, though no one has ever explained why they were fired. Then a senior commander in the Space Force, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, lost his job. And we know why. His crime was criticizing Marxism. That's a firing offense now. Then in August, Lloyd Austin came up with a new political purity test. This one was specifically designed to separate the obedient from the free. Can't have any of the latter category. Austin said he planned to fire anyone in the entire armed services who would not submit to the COVID-19 vaccination shot. Didn't matter whether they had natural immunity or not, as many in the military do. Their personal, moral, or religious objections were totally irrelevant. The point was to bow before his authority and the authority of the Democratic Party. No excuses, no exceptions. Quote, 
I have determined, Austin said, that mandatory vaccination against COVID-19 is necessary to protect the force and defend the American people. Period. No debate. So what's the scientific justification for this? Well, of course, there isn't any. There is zero scientific basis for any of this. The fighting strength of the military is young, healthy people, virtually all of them at extremely low risk of dying from COVID. In fact, to this day, only 46 members of the entire U.S. military have died from the coronavirus over the last year and a half. Suicides, by contrast, kill many, many times more. In just a few months last year, 156 servicemen killed themselves. So military suicide is an actual crisis that the Pentagon might want to address. Lloyd Austin might want to look into that. But no, that would get the Democratic Party nothing. The point of mandatory vaccination is to identify the sincere Christians in the ranks, the free thinkers, the men with high testosterone levels, and anyone else who does not love Joe Biden and make them leave immediately. It's a takeover of the U.S. military. Here's how they're doing it. This show has just obtained a PowerPoint that the Army is using to justify mandatory vaccines to the troops. This is an actual slide from it on your screen. You will notice there the sympathetic portrayal of Satanism. How many children were sacrificed to Satan because of the vaccine? The slide reads apparently sarcastically. Then the presentation proceeds to list the so-called tenets of Satanism, which are taken straight from the Temple of Satanism website. So here you have the United States Army doing PR for Satanism. The rest of the presentation is less shocking than that, but it's utterly shoddy and dishonest. For example, it falsely claims that only three people have died from taking the COVID vaccine. Reports collected by the Biden administration itself indicate that number is actually in the thousands. So we called the Army about this today, and they can see the PowerPoint you just saw is absolutely real. Troops saw it but it was somehow not approved by army, army leadership. They did not explain how that works or what they're going to do about it. We do know the vaccine mandate is taking a terrible toll on the US military and on this country's ability to defend itself at a very volatile time in the world. Already three members of the CIA paramilitary teams that first entered Afghanistan after 9-11, remember them? They got there before the military. Three members of that team have been suspended for not getting vaccinated. They're being told to await disciplinary proceedings. Meanwhile, an Army officer, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Douglas Haig, just announced that he's resigning from the military rather than take medicine that he does not want or need. In a statement, Haig said he was, quote, incapable of injecting myself, subjecting myself to the unlawful, unethical, immoral, and tyrannical order to sit still and allow a serum to be injected into my flesh against my will and better judgment, end quote. There are many like him in the U.S. military. The Navy just informed the most famous unit in the entire services, the Navy SEALs, that members will be forced to leave if they don't take the shot. It does not matter if they have natural immunity, and many do. It doesn't matter if they have a valid religious or medical exemption. If they don't submit to the order, they cannot deploy and they'll have to leave the SEALs. The deadline for this is almost immediately. Now, to be clear, just in case you're wondering if this is in response to some kind of crisis, we don't believe a single Navy SEAL has died of COVID. And that makes sense. These are some of the healthiest people, not just in America, but in the world. They're the Olympic athletes of the military. Many of them have had the virus. They live in close quarters and they've recovered. That means they have more natural immunity than the vaccine could ever provide. And yet, as of tonight, we're hearing that hundreds of Navy SEALs face being fired imminently for refusing to take the shot. Now keep in mind, there are only about 2,500-ish active duty Navy SEALs. 
Each one of them costs at least a half a million dollars for the U.S. government to train. So imagine the effect on our country's military readiness of this. It's horrifying. If you love the country, you would not do this. You would also not disable our hospitals by forcing nurses to resign because they don't want to take the shot. You'll notice, by the way, in the case of the Navy SEALs and more broadly the U.S. military, that none of the members of Congress who claim to care so much about the military, they talk about it all the time, defense hawks like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and so many others, none of these people have said a single word about any of this. They have not. He's spot on. He's spot on. They, once again, we're not even covering the border today, which is a complete invasion and no nobody got whipped he was whipping his horse with this fucking whatever the fuck the harness they have on him they're pulling the reins there we go they want to replace you with voters that will vote for them so they never lose an election they want to do that under budgetary legislation which got kinked, but they'll still push it in somewhere. And they want all the people with the guns to work for them. That's their plan. If you own the guns and you replace voters that don't like you, you never lose power. And that's the whole game plan. It's been the game plan forever. You showed it on the show. We can replace them. Unfettered immigration. And then you don't cover Millie being a fucking traitor. You don't cover real violence like BLM violence for a whole summer. And you just do our media jerk off for the week, which is those goddamn Republicans. I am Republican. The media jerk off of the week. So hot. Well, you know, I was just I'm listening to this conversation and I was listening to that question that got asked Jen Saki and Jen's response to this, and I'm offended by that guy's question. I'm a, somebody that was raised Roman Catholic. I'm a Christian. I go to church every week. And the idea that these folks think that the word pro-life belongs in their mouth, it ought to be ripped out of their mouth because these are folks that constantly talk about pro-life and want nothing to do with doing anything about guns, want nothing to do with doing anything about capital punishment, want nothing to do with doing anything about funding health care of the people that may be born because of this. They're not pro-life, they're pro-birth. You know, Melissa, and what scares me um, is that despite the fact that, as Ellie says, there are large majorities you know, who, who still want democracy, who still believe that everyone should be able to vote regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless, you know, of what state they live in, that everyone should have equal access to the ballot, that believe that when, a, when somebody wins an election and somebody loses, that should carry. You shouldn't be able to just flip an election and give it to who you want. The, the, the things that the vast majority of people want, women to have liberty, personal bodily liberty, most people want that. 
but that between Republicans who don't respect the rules and the laws and who are willing to, to cheat and willing to do whatever it takes, and now the courts being on their side, and there now being a solid majority of them who want to enact hyper right wing, basically even, you know, a certain type of evangelical rule over us, which is Talibanism, right? This is our sect and you will live by our sect, whether you want to be a part of it or not. That scares me because if the court is willing to do that, where do we go from here if we don't expand the court? I can't think of what else we do other than expand the court. They're stacked now to essentially suborn our democracy to their very particular version of right-wing evangelical Christian, what they call Christianity, and they're going to force the rest of us to live under those rules. That is no different than Talibanism, and we're just let, watching it happen like it ain't happening. It's happening, guys. Wake up. But I agree with you, Whoopi, in the sense that I see this incredible hypocrisy coming from the Christian right. Um, amongst especially people like myself who say that abortion is wrong and say it's about the sanctity of life, yet they're so supportive of gun ownership. They're so supportive of AR-15s. Mm -hmm. They're so supportive of the death penalty. Death penalty. Yeah. They're so supportive of never-ending wars. Well, they also don't care after the kid is born. Yeah, and then well, they drop you like part, a hot rock. That part. Um, they're so supportive um, of personal freedoms to choose not to be vaccinated. They're so supportive of personal freedoms not to wear a mask. Yeah. Yet, um, but they, but they, sorry, this is about women. They're, they're, this well, is hatred it, it, of women. But they claim to be pro-life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have to get that out there because this is really about personal choice. Well, let's I, also I do get that now after that. being on the show for five mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As we Nobody, start. I think I can say this for every person in the world, is pro-abortion. No. That is people are brought to and and it is a, a life-changing hard altering that no man no. no man has to face no. this. This is not something anyone is for, just to be clear. Yeah. You know, it's it, like you always say, yeah. we're all pro-life. Yeah, we are all pro-life. And, and the, you know, who's going to, uh, is SCOTUS going to be responsible for these babies when these people have these children? What happens when they are, are perhaps, God forbid, murdered by their parents? Whose responsibility is it? Well, you know, they're worried about the Taliban and the Taliban women. Worry about the Taliban in America. Because yeah, that's you. what these guys guys are real old. Yeah. Well, you know. Just more stuff to think about. This is the thinking show. This is a show about thinking about how does it affect us. You know, Madam Secretary, we have a new home here on Times Square and as thrilled as I am to be here, I admit I'm a little nervous sometimes. I'm looking around more than I normally do. And I think a lot of Americans are concerned about a threat risk here in the United States because of our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Do you share those concerns? I think you always have to be uh, vigilant, Gail, and, and certainly that unfortunately comes with uh, living in the world as we know it today, but actually I am more concerned about internal threats. Mm -hmm. uh, we always have to be aware of and protect against external threats, but what really is uh, tearing our country apart and threatening our democracy is what we saw on January 6th. And I unfortunately have seen so much of that kind of continuing divisiveness and hatred and ideological uh, attitudes about our democracy, about each other, 
So, yes, we have to be constantly aware of potential uh, damage, attacks, threats from outside. But I think every American, uh, regardless of where you stand on the spectrum, uh, should be as worried, if not more right now, about what we're doing to ourselves. You know, we can take anything, we can, we can overcome anything, we can come back from anything if we're united. But if we are going to continue to uh, hate each other, uh, scapegoat each other, uh, try to undermine each other, go after our institutions, our, our voting system, uh, yeah, then we are putting ourselves at great risk. And that's mm -hmm. what keeps me up at night these days. Yeah, you raise a very good point already. There's discussion on whether we should put the barbed wire back up at the Capitol. Talking about that for no reason. Breaking tonight, Americans trying to leave Afghanistan are pleading with the Biden administration for help. A number of them are on charter planes, still being blocked from leaving. The administration is blaming the Taliban, but not everyone is buying that. Correspondent Trey Ying starts us off tonight from Doha, Qatar. Hello, Trey. Shannon, good evening. There is tension on the ground in Afghanistan as the Taliban cracks down on protests and civilians try to flee. Charter flights from Afghanistan remain grounded. An estimated 100 Americans are still stuck in the country, a handful of them in the northern city of Mazari Sharif. They have planes but aren't permitted to take off. As of now, the Taliban are not permitting the charter flights to depart. They claim that some of the passengers do not have the required documentation. While Secretary of State Antony Blinken blamed the Taliban for halted evacuation flights, a leaked email shows that some aircraft are being denied takeoff by the State Department. A senior U.S. official says there's no way to vet who is boarding the planes, making the rescue missions to terrorism. With air traffic at a standstill, civilians and foreigners continue to flee on foot. Neighboring Pakistan said it's already deported around 50 families who crossed into the country without proper documentation. There are efforts underway right now to reopen Kabul's international airport. If those talks with the Taliban are successful, it could provide a way out for some of them. Just narrative. And then you find out that their drone strike, because once again, we're back in the democratic way of doing uh, foreign policy, where when things don't go good domestically, we just mother fucking launch shit at random targets and we killed aid workers they even lied completely lied about secondary explosions and millie's statement was like it was a righteous hit he actually said those things a righteous hit Peter Baker apparently was betrayal for Milley to reassure China that Trump wasn't crazy enough to go to war. Understand the lies that are continuing in this are so insidious that this wasn't even around the election. The first call was before the election. Before Stop the Steal. Before anything that they were so scared about. Bucci. No, Milley was not just doing his job. His position was advisory. Tom Nichols. Here's what I think so far about Millie. Calls from the resigner stupid. Calls to fire him are stupid. The call to China was a good thing. It's a legit question about whether he was preemptively countermanding possible orders. Bad faith call for craven opportunists like Rubo, Rubio mean nothing. Millie, I think, was trying to steady the ship. 
But if you have an undying prejudice, none of this, not one moment of this would have happened if there was not a fact that Donald Trump was a piece of shit. But Trump, that's always all they have to say. This is what the media does. But Trump, but Trump, but Trump, but Trump. On MSDNC, Steve Schmidt is still calling January 6th a murderous insurrection. It's always been a lie. It'll continue to be a lie. And then we have the Justice for Six rally. I'm not even going to play sound bites. Press out numbered protesters but we put up fencing we hyped it we hyped it and hyped it and hyped it and hyped it for no reason at all i mean it really is such a terrible tragedy on so many levels kind of hard to get your head around how something like that um, could happen. And, and Rick, I mean, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan was already a, a rough patch for the Biden administration, to say the least. But where where does this mistake leave the White House now? How does it fit into the broader story of Afghanistan? Well, Craig, I would say it, it just confirms the rightness and correctness of uh, evacuating from Afghanistan and, and the difficulties that uh, U.S. soldiers uh, face in that country. I mean, you know, the, the, even the administration has admitted the intelligence they had about uh, how long the Afghan government would survive and the, and the, uh, and the efficacy and power of, of the Afghan military. I mean, our intelligence was not great about that either. And I think that's one of the reasons that President Biden has always been a skeptic about uh, American boots on the ground in Afghanistan. And as tragic as it is, and it is absolutely tragic, and we should get to the bottom of it, um, I think it only confirms the uh, correctness of that decision. And I think it reminds Americans of just how messy uh, our, our uh, engagement in Afghanistan was. Breaking tonight, in just the past couple of minutes, Republican oper- operative Doug Weed has been indicted for a legal campaign contribution solicitation from a Russian national. This indictment just released by the DOJ says Weed told a foreign national that he could meet a presidential candidate during the 2016 election cycle in exchange for a payment. The indictment does not list the candidate. Weed is a Republican. The assumption is, is that that's Uh, President Donald Trump. It's not listed in the indictment. Also indicted, Jesse Benton, who previously worked as a campaign manager for Senate candidates, including Senator Rand Paul and others, and one presidential bid. We'll follow this. What was billed as a possible sequel to the January Capitol riot fizzled Saturday here in Washington. The mainstream media had touted the demonstration, despite the fact that major conservative organizations had urged their supporters not to attend. It was built up really all week long, and then it came. Here's Fox News media analyst and host of Fox's Media Buzz, Howard Kurtz. The Capitol protest had been relentlessly hyped for weeks, the media warning of possible violence, as conservative groups plan to demonstrate on behalf of the January 6th defendants they say are being mistreated. The threat level at the Capitol with protective barriers going back up ahead of another pro-Trump rally. We're on watch tonight 
for any potential early unrest ahead of this twisted rally tomorrow in support of those who attacked our capital. But only a couple of hundred protesters showed up Saturday, far outnumbered by journalists and law enforcement officers. And with just four arrests and no injuries or clashes, that left CNN especially all suited up with plenty of airtime to fill. We have a team of correspondents covering every angle of this. And it doesn't seem that the Capitol Police, the Washington D. Police, the Washington D.C. Police and other police that are here need to worry about being outnumbered. You could definitely feel uh, the tension from the police here. Right now, I cannot stress the depth of the white privilege that was on display today on Capitol Hill. The justice for the January 6th rally. Naturally, the press, including Fox News, had to cover law enforcement preparations for the protest, which included protective fencing, riot gear, and National Guard troops on standby. Yet the Washington Post said the tiny turnout was no surprise because, as was reported last week, some conservative groups told their followers not to come. And Donald Trump eventually soured on the rally, calling it a setup to embarrass his supporters if few showed up. The protest was a bust, but many in the news business never tire of rehashing the awful events of January 6th, tying the former president to his most extreme supporters. And they are poised to pounce on any controversial story involving Trump, who remains a magnet for ratings and clicks. Brett? Howie, thanks. Up next, bad news. Are you surprised? I mean, that's just what they do. It's what we're always going to have in our media because they're not going to want to talk about themselves, even when it's about covid because covid every time they need to get more money it's some covid porn the fda committee's recommendation on the booster was more narrow than president biden wanted you heard anthony fauci's explanation of that but he is being criticized for jumping the gun. What happened? Well, it looked like the White House was getting ahead of the science, that the White House was getting ahead of the health experts. And, you know, Dr. Fauci seems to be in a little bit of a spin mode and saying, look, we were just wanted to be ready by this date. But make no mistake, Martha, when the White House rolled this out, the expectation was you would begin the process of boosters for everybody on September 20th. That was not the recommendation uh, of the FDA advisory panel. It will not be what the FDA goes forward with in all, all, you know, all likelihood. Uh, and, and this is important because Biden's credibility on COVID has been his, his, has been what has driven his level of his popularity. I mean, this is, this is what he has trusted most on and what he needs to be trusted most on. And we've seen it eroded uh, over the past several weeks. And boy, Rachel, you're sure seeing that on the Hill. His poll numbers yeah. are falling. Republicans are just pouncing on this and everything else. Yeah, and to John's point, I think Republicans really do see an opening here. They know that his approval ratings have dropped when it comes to his handling of the pandemic, and they're really seizing on this opportunity, bringing up some of the past comments that President Biden has said. Look, on July 4th, he said that we were closer than ever to declaring independence from the virus, that we had the upper hand. We saw the, the guidance come back for indoor masking, and then a few weeks later, we saw these vaccine requirements get rolled out when it comes to the federal government workers, as well as uh, private businesses. At this point, you have both sides accusing one another of playing politics when it comes to the virus. We know the virus does not discriminate when it, along party lines, but the bottom line here is, is that we know that Republicans at this point are less likely to be vaccinated. And that is the challenge that's going to be for President Biden. He came in, he said that he'd be the president that would be able to get this under control. And at this point, you still have a lot of Republicans. Polls show a lot of Republicans are still questioning whether even doctors and scientists uh, are biased when it comes to this. Is a president who has decided if it's going to 
It's going to be war against the vaccine and any governors who stand in his way. President Biden is fed up, and this speech was about telling people, you are now put on notice. The president's now saying, if you don't get vaccinated, not only are you putting the country at risk, but you yourself are going to face dire consequences. So if you're someone who thinks this isn't going to touch your life, President Biden is saying, it's getting personal. I'm coming for you. He wants COVID on cruise ships. He wants COVID in the schools. He wants COVID everywhere. Apparently wants to spread it everywhere. Talk about the legal backing for what the president is doing. Does he have one? Of course he has one. Welcome to the immense reserves of federal power that we have existed under for this entire 250-year experiment. Of course the federal government can mandate basic health and safety regulations, the same power that allows TSA to take off my shoes and molest me because I want to go to South Dakota, allows the federal government to mandate a vaccine and mandate testing um, at the employment level. And I particularly will not stand for it, will not hear it, from the forced birth aficionados, right? The same people that you just listed over there are, are, are that are now arguing against the mask mandates are the same people who have been running around for a week saying that it's okay to force a woman to bring a pregnancy to term against her will. That is ridiculous. Those people can take all the seats, all right? Of course, vaccine mandates are illegal. And of course, forcing women to give birth is not. Here's the simplest way to understand this. The government can require people to be healthy. It cannot require people to get sick. This was also President Biden saying, I will slap you with a stick and then move you out of the way, Ron DeSantis, if I have to. I know as somebody who is still afraid to eat in an indoor restaurant, uh, because I am afraid of COVID, and who, has, who is a parent who I'm afraid that my kids will eat in an indoor restaurant, I would feel so much more confident and comfortable doing that myself or knowing my kids were doing it if, they, if I knew that every... Follow up on the call with President Xi last night, mm -hmm. exactly two weeks ago when the Intel community came up empty trying to figure out the origins of COVID. The president said critical information about the origins of this pandemic exists in the People's Republic of China. When he talked to the president of China last night, did he press him like he said he was going to? I'm not going to go into every uh, list of every topic discussed. Um, they did discuss a range of transnational issues, including COVID-19, and understanding its origins is, of course, a primary concern for this administration. Yes, it was a topic raised, uh, but I'm not going to go into further detail. So we should understand that to mean that the president did to let international investigators in to get this information that he says China has. We have conveyed that many times publicly. I think they know that that's our position but, and view. But not publicly. On this 90-minute phone call, they talked about Again, that. Peter, this is a topic that we have said conveyed many times at many levels. I'm just not going to have more on the call to read out for okay. you. Okay. And then why is it that you're trying to require anybody with a job or anybody who goes to school to get the COVID-19 vaccine? but you are not requiring that of migrants that continue walking across the southern border into the country. Well, look, our objective is to get as many people vaccinated across the country as humanly possible. And so the president's announcement yesterday was an effort to empower businesses, to give businesses the tools to protect their workforces. That's exactly what we did. But certainly we want everybody to get vaccinated and more people are vaccinated, whether they are migrants or whether they are workers, protects more people in the United States. But it's a requirement for people at a business with more than 100 people. It is not a requirement for my... Good evening, everyone. Clearly frustrated by the pace of COVID-19 vaccinations in this country, President Biden tonight is trading out the velvet glove for a hammer, unveiling a broad and largely new COVID strategy heavily grounded in vaccine mandates. 
meant to compel millions of American workers to be vaccinated. The proposed rules targeting both large businesses and federal employees. President Biden is taking off the gloves to get more Americans to roll up their sleeves. He's issuing an aggressive executive order mandating COVID vaccines for millions of federal employees and contractors. And President Biden is calling on the Labor Department to compel large and mid-sized private companies to get their workers vaccinated or face fines. Altogether, his new plan covers two-thirds of America's workers. He took special aim at the nearly 80 million eligible Americans who have refused shots, saying, quote, your refusal is costing all of us. Not only did President Biden call out those vaccine holdouts tonight, he has a clear message to the roughly 100 million Americans who will be impacted by the new requirements. Get vaccinated or pay the consequences. President uh, taking aim at local officials that he said are actively working to undermine the fight against COVID by opposing masks and vaccination mandates. He said, I'll get them out of the way. The president clearly frustrated with politics, the fights, the, the images like the ones we saw just today out of Tennessee, that young man trying to make the case. Uh, the president saying this is getting in the way of halting this virus. Yes, David, clear frustration from the president tonight. But the White House is convinced that mandating vaccines for 100 million Americans, giving them that time off to get those shots, will make a difference. The administration, though, already receiving pushback to this. Just moments ago, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem tweeted this message to the president, see you in court. The bottom line here is that hospitalizations are rising. The administration knew that they had to take aggressive action to counter this. Um, the dashboard and how it's set up myself, as far as how we get information out to the community on meaningful numbers, we do oh. that on a weekly basis. So that's on our website and we've been sharing that through social channels as well, particularly those graphics that show the number of patients in house, the percentage of them that are unvaccinated, the percentage of unvaccinated people in the ICU and the percentage of deaths and the numbers. So those are numbers that we put out as far as we don't get into details of floor. Or right. Those other numbers are certainly out there. Right. I, I guess my feeling at this point in time is maybe we need to be completely a little bit more scary for the public. Then there's another comment, as I completely agree, there are many people still hospitalized that we're considering post-COVID, but we're not counting in those numbers. So how do we include those post-COVID people in the numbers of the patients we have in the hospital? So is that all the people who have been in the hospital since the beginning of COVID? Well, or that are still in it. And that's something that I can take to someone else. But I think those are important numbers, the patients that are still in the hospital, that are off the COVID floor, but still are occupying the hospital for a variety of reasons. Okay. Carolyn, we call those, I'm sorry, we, we're calling those recovered now. If you look at yeah. the Navant Health dashboard, they're listed as recovered. But I do think it, from our standpoint, we would still consider them a COVID patient because they're still healing. Yeah. So I think that that needs to be highlighted as well. Yeah. Because once they're off isolation, they drop from the COVID numbers. That's exactly right. Kellen, we can talk offline and yeah. how we run that up to marketing. And right. So I'm just going to say, Carolyn, I think we have to be more blunt. We have to be more forceful. We have to say something coming out. You know, you don't get vaccinated. You know, you're going to die. I mean, let's just, let's just be really blunt to these people.
That last one was all over Twitter. So I played it. An unvaccinated minority that doesn't watch the news or trust the news is putting the vaccinated majority of at undue risk. There's no way around that reality. Reality is you have a vaccine. You've been vaccinated. Marion Webster, anti-vaxxer. A person who opposed vaccination or laws that mandate vaccinations. So here we are again that even the dictionary is helping the causes of the left. The fucking dictionary. Are you fucking... What laws? You can't make a law mandatory a vaccine. That's unconstitutional. Postal workers, yeah, they don't have to get mandated. Teachers union, they don't have to get mandated. Congress isn't going to get mandated. But he's going to charge $14,000 per person who does not get the vaccine if it gets through. Journalism at its absolute finest. CBS News dials a drama up to 11 with breathless reporting on one Texas ER wait time. We had a lot of that. Thread. In- inconvenient COVID. Well, let me, let me do this at the end. NPR. A guy miss- visits 43 ICUs and he dies. No proof. The study suggests, oh, I'm waiting on that one too. Breaking, Biden gets a no on the FDA for Pfizer and for, there's no boosters. You can't get one. Meet the press, take their mask off when they go to film. I asked my grandson what he wanted for his birthday and he said a vaccine. Yeah, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen at all, but okay. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. And my favorite <clears throat> is this one from CNN. In this photo, which has gone viral, you can see a 14-year-old student giving a one-fingered salute to anti-mask protesters outside her school. Uh, and that saluter there, as we should say, Fiona joins me now along with her finger and her mother, Megan Downey. Uh, thank you both so much for being with us this morning. Fiona, why don't you just walk us through what happened on the bus on the way to school that day? Um, okay, so the protesters are there every single day and they come over and they just hold up their signs. And for me, I was just fed up and I was built with anger. Um, and I just decided to give them the finger because I thought it was the best thing I could do. But yeah. so, so when you drive past them to get into your school, I mean, what do the signs say and how does it make you feel? Um, they say like stuff like masks aren't the cure. Um, I can't remember the rest, but it makes me just really angry. And I don't know, it makes everyone else angry. And we're all just annoyed with it. And, you know, and for you, what do you want in terms of being at school? I want everyone just to be safe. And it's hard because I was on hybrid learning for so long. It's very stressful and very hard, but I hope that we can stay in school. Um, you delivered a clear message to them. Um, do you think they saw the message you delivered? Um, no, because they came to school yesterday. Um, but I hope that things will change. So, Megan, you got a text from Fiona basically saying, um, well, what did the text say? Yeah, she said, Mom, I flipped off the anti-maskers and they flipped me off back. And um, 
you know, honestly, I understood her frustration and her anger. It's been 18 months of this pandemic, which has been hard on all of us in different ways, but especially I think on adolescents and we all just want to get back to normal and we're not going to be able to do that unless we can put public health first. You know, it's, a, it's an odd parenting moment, right? Because when your child tells you, hey, I, I you know, I think I might have just been photographed <laughs> flipping the bird to a bunch of protesters here. Um, you know, what was your reaction? Yeah, well, we should add that Fiona had no idea there were cameras there and I had no idea either. Uh, so we did not know this was in the news until the next day or that it was even captured until the next day. But um, my initial reaction was they think they're protecting you. And then she went to class and the day was really uneventful until the next morning um, when it started to go viral. Do you have uh, any issue with, with Fiona's chosen means of expression? You know, what else was she supposed to do in that moment? She was pretty fed up. She, you know, this was not a situation where she could engage in constructive dialogue. Um, you know, she's forced to ride the bus every day to school and see these people and she was done and she expressed herself. So I, I'm, I'm proud of my daughter and I'm fine with that. No, I'm just smiling because it's one of those challenging parenting moments when you know you're supposed to say, that's not something you're supposed to do, but sort of you're whispering to yourself, right on. You know, it's sort of, you, you got to be careful with that. So, Fiona, we don't, where does this go from here, do you think, in, in the coming days? Are these people going to be outside? Your, you're in Vermont, I should know. I mean, they can't be out there all winter. It's going to get cold. I mean, I have no idea. I hope that the school can do something about it. I mean, they're right outside of school property. So there's nothing that I can really do just besides spreading the message to everyone else to wear their masks. Well, you spread a message. Uh, and, and I think they saw it, and I think a lot of people are seeing it. And I understand your frustration, because it is a minority, this vocal, aggressive minority who are protesting masks, and, and sometimes you have to deliver a certain message back. Um, Fiona, Megan, I appreciate you both being with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, thank you. The tweet I saw was this from Philip Lewis. This photo should win a Pulitzer. A teen explains why she flipped off anti-mask protesters out of Vermont school. The protesters are there every single day and they come over and they just hold up their signs. And for me, I was just fed up. We're all just annoyed with it because our mother's like that. Mm. Few people recognize media performs virtue signaling too. It, it is... I literally just sometimes don't understand because if you dig in the numbers per the CDC of the 378k death certificates listing COVID in 2020, only 20,792 listed just COVID. We've said it since we started. COVID isn't a killer, it's other things that make it. Per the CDC, there is no known study showing mass help stop the spread. Multiple studies show natural infect infection confers greater protection than the vaccine. In many regions, lockdowns led to more than two times as many deaths from suicide than were from COVID. 73 million children in America, just 1,790 were hospitalized. Of those, the number who died were eight. Eight. That's it. 
America's self-appointed savior, Dr. Fauci, pleaded light under oath about his role in China. Data now shows increasing pace of current available vaccination will not stop the spread of COVID as Israel, where at least 78% of those eligible were vaccinated. Per the CDC, for those under 24, the chance of dying in a car crash is 10 more likely than COVID. Per the CDC, there are 7,772 deaths from COVID alone from August to August uh, 2021, among those under 74. In 2019, there was twice as many more murders. Those are just facts. Study suggests that roughly half of all hospitalized patients showing up on COVID data dashboards in 2021 may have been admitted for other reasons altogether. It wasn't COVID that sent them there. They got COVID while they were there. But we're still we're still moving on with the COVID. We're, we're, we're going to use it. Today, one of every three Americans lives in a city or a state transitioning to clean energy, clean energy electricity. But folks, we have to pick up the pace. When I rejoined the Paris Climate Accord after we had been pulled out of it, the goal set when our last administration, the Obama-Biden administration, when that was set, they were said that we had more time. We don't have the time now. The goals are different because the necessity is there. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have much more than 10 years for real. Ten years for real. Climate change. The party man. And... I always cover one of these because we've watched this under Trump. We've lived the undeniable bias to an extent that it's insane that they even say we're news anymore. Biggest current Biden scandals, cutting COVID treatments to red states, Millie's treason, America's still stranded in Afghanistan, intestinal border crisis, telling President Press to lie, lying Afghanistan Press to lie, lying about droning a bunch of kids, skyrocketing inflation, proposal to monitor all financial accounts worth 600. Who is actually running this country? The FBI is an utterly corrupt organization. Americans killed in Afghanistan, making him miss Matlock reruns. Stolen election. Maybe letting the teachers unit, unit union dictate CDC guidelines. But none of them. And then you get Valashian Rex. Sorry, I'm trying to get my cigar to freaking stay lit because it's old now and it doesn't want to work. I've talked a lot on here about... The left gets rid of religion, and they replace it with their own. And with Proverbs and Psalms and commandments, and it's it's a whole religion, because they don't like religion, because religion, religious people didn't vote for them, so they went and made their own shit. Well, this gentleman, Vaxelanian Rex, this is an awesome thread, and I didn't get pictures because I got no life now. Thread, the religious tenets of the Holy Church of COVID. 
if you get sick after first vaccine shot, it's because you didn't have the have the second shot. If you get sick after the second shot, it's because 21 days didn't pass yet since you had the second shot. If you get sick after more than 21 days since the second shot, then the role of the vaccine was for you not to get gravely ill. If you get gravely ill, then the role of the vaccine was to keep you from dying. If you die, then at least you should have been consoled knowing that no vaccine is 100% effective. And anyone, anyhow, your death isn't, it's the fault of those right-wing anti-vax nut jobs. Furthermore, because of the interesting times we're living in, you should also know the following. If you get ill or die because of the vaccine, the vaccine manufacturers cannot be held liable for your death. The government who is mandating you to get vaccine also cannot be held liable. The nurse who jabs you in the arm and puts the vaccine isn't liable. But if you refuse to get vaccinated, then you're responsible for every single COVID death there is. And it's true. They all have tenants, but for just a brief second this week, on the Sunday shows, there was kind of an admittance that everything they said about Biden was a lie. It's been a rough six weeks. And it seems as if it's only getting worse. And it got a lot worse on that Friday afternoon with all of those things happening in one day. The mood is one of um, soldiering on. I mean, they're certainly embattled right now. But this White House has said from the beginning, Joe Biden can chew gum and walk at the same time. And and all the people around him can do the same. But certainly some of these crises are not ones that they expected. I don't think they expected to see one of the U.S.'s oldest allies recalling its ambassador. So they're soldiering on. They're trying to say, we've, we've got this. We're, we're going to roll through it. But it's a tough time. You know, Anna, with the, the Afghanistan withdrawal uh, and how it went, and then you have the what the Pentagon said, and then you look at the border, there is this growing, boy, can you guys get your arms around our problems? This seems to be the real challenge. Yeah, and I think they have continuing to stumble here, right? They don't have the messaging, right? They don't necessarily have the policy, right? I think there's a lot of questions on Capitol Hill now that these members are coming back where they're going to face investigations on Afghanistan. What happened there? It's not going away. And I think this is something where this White House has really not kind of got its feet underneath it. And now we're weeks into this, right? They need to kind of figure out what their messaging is going to be. How are they going to deal with tough questions? Maria Theresa, this migrant crisis has been... Look, we, we, it, they did not, it was not seasonal, right? President Biden thought it was going to be seasonal. This was just one of the things he had said that turned out not to be true days. Um, and this issue with the Haitians is, I mean, you and I were talking earlier, this is yet another problem of disinformation, perhaps for the, the Haitian people, but it, this is a bunch of bad choices. We're really going to send people back to Haiti? Well, I think that I think their options right now are really limited. As you said, Chuck, there is tons of disinformation right now that if you were to ask me what is one of the things that are that's under the radar that folks aren't paying attention to, but that is a national security crisis, it is the disinformation that we're embattling, whether it's the crisis at the border, whether it's people getting vaccine hesitancy, whether it's getting information that just does not allow them to understand what that government is actually doing. He's neither brought unity or brought the adults back. We don't live by science anymore. Science is just a political talking point because the fucking dictionary changes to support the left. Which brings us to our This is America. 
Going to have Brian Seltzer upset that Trump told people not to go to the protest that was supposed to ruin democracy again. We're going to have a bunch of people upset about the Border Patrol whipping Haitians, which didn't happen. And the only journalist we have right now, Peter Ducey, literally asking about what the fuck with the border while everybody else is like, why aren't we letting those people in? This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. We know that the MAGA media universe and figures like Donald Trump are not encouraging people to go to Saturday's rally at the Capitol. So that's a big difference from January 6th. Uh, in fact, what we're seeing in some cases uh, are these figures, these trusted figures on the far right saying, don't go, it's a trap. Here's an example from a prominent QAnon promoter saying, the DC fence has been reinstalled, do not go to the FBI rally. Notice the word there, FBI rally. So the suggestion is it's a setup, it's some sort of a government plot. And Donald Trump is taking a similar tone. In an interview with the right-wing website, The Federalist, he said uh, the rally on Saturday is a setup. He said uh, to, the, to the website that it's a setup. So it's another example of a very different tone heading into Saturday. But what we also see online is a diffusion of the extreme and dangerous rhetoric that was seen before January 6th. It is quite a, paint, a picture that you paint mm -hmm. uh, and a disturbing one at that. Brian. There are alarming images from the Texas border tonight. The White House press on them today calling the images horrific what were some border patrol agents doing and all of this comes as the biden administration now puts migrants on flights back home to haiti kenneth moton from texas tonight this new video of haitian migrants at the southern border the chaos and despair images showing border patrol agents on horseback as they try to stop them from crossing the river into the u.s the white house seeking answers I've also seen the video. I can't imagine what the scenario is where that would be appropriate. It's obviously horrific, the footage. Tonight, a sea of humanity and desperation along the Texas-Mexico border that has overwhelmed the U.S. Border Patrol. A number of agents on horseback can be seen trying to keep migrants from crossing into the country while threatening them with what appears to be horses' reins or ropes, including families like this one holding a baby when the agents get dangerously close. As they try to pass, the agents said this to them. Hey, you use your women? This is why your country a massive show of force by Texas troopers creating a barricade along the border to stop the thousands of mainly Haitian migrants from arriving in Del Rio, Texas. Morgan, there's been a lot of attention today on some of those images of agents on horseback doing back doing a crowd control, and there's questions over what they were holding. What can you tell us? Yeah, Lester, White House spokesperson Jen Psaki called those images horrific to watch, but said she needed more information before officially making a comment. Meanwhile, Secretary Mayorkas here in Del Rio says it appears those were the riders' reins for the horse, but did promise to investigate. We're told that agents are not equipped with whips and ride horseback. We really are in the throes in this country of figuring out who we are and what we're about. And I was taken aback uh, by a single image that should make you pay attention to a problem. This one. There's a lot here. Yeah, as an image, to me it does smack of a bygone era. 
of slavery, aided by reports of people being beaten, whether with a riding crop or the reins, most likely. You may be drawn to the desperation of the man trying to escape. Others, in the desperation of keeping our borders safe, of what I believe the former president tried to depict as a brown menace at our border. But this is more than just a picture, it's a reality. People crossing, clinging to food, that's what they're holding over their heads. It's food, not bags of drugs. The agents trying to turn them around and send them back across the border. Look, that is their job. But it's what is being done to allow this country to process the need. We can't do better than horseback. You see the video, but you need to see the confluence. All right? Everything going on at once, all captured in this one image. Okay? See the horse. Their use is common and necessary along this part of the border. The horse is there because a wall was never going to be enough. Sounded simple because it was simplistic. We were never a wall away. We've spent billions on technology, drones, helicopters, sensors, blimps, cameras, even, yes, fencing. But given the terrain, the work of patrolling often has to be done on horseback. Look at the agent's face. What do you see? Frustration. You said last month, power over the horizon capacity can work and has worked in going after ISIS targets and killing people who went after our troops. But you guys didn't kill people who went after our troops. You killed 10 civilians, including seven children. So does the president still think these over the horizon strikes can work? Absolutely. Question about what's going on at the border. Is somebody asking the foreign nationals who are walking into Del Rio, Texas and setting up camps on this side of the border for proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test? Well, first of all, I can re, re I can readdress for you or re talk you through what that steps the, we that take. That is the policy for people who fly into the country. So if somebody walks into the country right across the river, does somebody ask them to see their vaccination card? Well, let me explain to you again, Peter, how our process works. As individuals, as individuals come across the border, uh, and uh, they are uh, both assessed for whether they have uh, any symptoms. If they have symptoms, they are the intention is for them to be quarantined. That is our process. They're not intending to stay here for a lengthy period of time. I don't think it's but the same here. thing. The it's difference? not the same thing. These are individuals, as we've noted and as we've been discussed, we are expelling individuals based on Title 42 specifically because of COVID. Where's the vice president on any of this? Isn't she supposed to be addressing the root causes of migration? Absolutely, and she has been addressing the root causes of migration by working with countries in the region to ensure they have the assistance they need to reduce the number of people who are coming uh, and trying to make those journeys across the border. We've actually seen some reductions in some of those numbers. That doesn't change the fact that this is a very challenging situation in Del Rio. We're working to implement our policies and we're working to uh, ensure it's all about narrative, my friends. All about narrative. So that wraps up. Oh, wait a minute. You know, I do have one more thing. Let's watch this. I watched this this week uh, on a break, and I thought it was pretty good. Dan Crenshaw going down to ground zero.
Well, that morning we were at that time when the first plane struck at 8.46. We were in the firehouse in Brooklyn and uh, one of our new guys, Kevin Riley, had come running out of the uh, locker room and he said a plane hit the World Trade Center. A few minutes later, our, our alarm system went off and we knew it had to be something significant to move from Brooklyn into Manhattan. And all it said was respond to one World Trade Center, commercial plane into building. And once we pulled out of the firehouse, you could see the smoke in the air. That was the holy shit factor of, wow, this is big. My name is Bobby Sen. I worked in downtown Brooklyn in engine 207, ladder 110, battalion 31. And seeing the top 24s of a high-rise building on fire was um, surreal, frightening, but you just knew it was game on. The first thoughts in my head are, wow, we're gonna die. Like this, you just, we knew what we, know what you're going into. My name is Dan Crenshaw. I was a Navy SEAL for 10 years from 2006 to 2016. Now I serve as a member of Congress. So you pull up here, you get out. We got out, it was 8.58. I hit the on-scene button, got out, started to put our stuff on, and there was about hundreds, hundreds of people all piled up in the street here, staring up this way at the North Tower burning. Right. I mean, I was kind of looking forward this way, heard that rush of air, that huge noise, just boom. That's when people started to panic and run. Because yeah, then that, it started to purpose. kick in. Did you see that right from there. here? Right, right from here. Um, you could feel the ground shake, people screaming, running away, and then it started a stampede, actually. Well, this is strange energy rush of adrenaline that you would get going to a fire, you're excited to get there, excited to operate, excited to do your job. Here's the fire department and what we go to. Car accidents, um, you know, some industrial accidents, fires, and then there's 9-11 and it's like all the way out in left field somewhere disconnected. I mean, going into the building, going towards the building, the commitment level was the same whether you were going to the magnitude of September 11th or a four-story apartment building. I went straight down Liberty to try to make a right turn to get into the to the North Tower. The Burger King, when I pass it now, it's it's a Burger King again. For a while that had been a temporary morgue. People, People have, have no idea. Somebody's sitting there eating a you know a burger and had no idea what was in there 20 years ago. My dad was in the oil business, so we were actually living abroad at the time. I didn't I didn't get to experience it with my fellow Americans. I was a, uh, I guess a junior in high school. I think like many people, it, it didn't, we didn't understand the magnitude of it at the time. Start moving this way. I was running right down the middle of the street. And what, what's the goal from a, from a firefighter perspective? Well, it's a, right, is that, um, is that accurate? The intent was to just get from where we arrived to get inside and get inside the North Tower because that's what our assignment was. In the process of coming down Liberty Street, there used to be a hotel there, it was a Marriott Hotel. Right here? Uh, on the far corner of West Street in Liberty. Okay. And there was a guy standing there who worked there. He was like waving for someone to come in and help him. Instead of making a right turn and going up the, the sidewalk, my right turn was into the, into the lobby of the hotel. And there was about a dozen civilians in there. So what happened was we made a quick decision, myself and a police officer, like let's get him out of here. And those people lived. But the reflecting pools that are there are exactly where the buildings stood. Those are the exact footprints. But in terms of like the things that were going through my head during that was, 
thinking of people who had to make a decision, a terrible decision to jump. It's like, why were these people jumping? Why weren't they just waiting? And the science of it is this. Roast beef starts to cook at 310, and so do we. The temperature up there was well over 1,000 degrees. It was standing right at the corner behind where we are now. And just looking up, and that was actually seeing the first two jumpers that I witnessed come down. They look this big up in a window, and the only reason why I noticed is there was a woman on the corner and she was holding her face and she was like going like this and she's going, no, 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 no. And it was a man and a woman. He had a suit, she had a dress on. It was a light pinkish colored dress. Uh, and they just looked at each other, held hands, and just stepped out. It was horrifying. And when they landed, um, it was, I, wo I wo have woken up at least 100 times over the last 20 years having dreams about that, or uh, nightmares about that. And then you're just up, you know, all right, coffee time, no, no going back to sleep. It's life changing. You know, your mortality is, is uh, scratched to the, you know, to the nerves watching that go on. Uh, and it's helpless, absolutely helpless feeling. These people, nobody died a, a painless death that day. Everybody, it was, you know, it was pretty horrific for them. The goal is to just get to the command post in the North Tower. Just from this street here, Liberty Street, down to Bessie Street, there were bodies strewn all over the street and they were landing everywhere. So I came out of the hotel, worked my way through fire trucks and <clears throat> so I got in there, in the lobby back and forth, frustrated, I heard the mayday come for Danny Sura. At that time, Mike Judge, the department chaplain, was uh, in the lobby with us. They wanted to get him out of the lobby to get over to what was going on over there with Danny. You couldn't come back out the front because of everything that was raining down out here. So while we were standing there trying to get him out, heard a rumble, building started to shake. All of a sudden, it started getting dark. Like you could see that in like a couple of seconds. I'm right in the lobby on the inside of this building, right up against the glass. I got picked up and blown off to the left. I bounced off the wall on the inside over there and wound up underneath the lobby command desk. Then the debris coming in was just like, it was like a payloader, you know, like a big scoop coming in and just dropping, hot, moist, not really heavy. It was like getting uh, a big, Thing of sand dumped on you, but it was super, super hot, and it reeked of jet fuel. Could not breathe, could not see, trying to put my face piece with my mask to my face to get some air in, and all I'm doing is pressurizing all of that debris and inhaling it. Just started moving, trying to move, trying to push whatever it was on me, off of me. I started crawling along that wall, and that's when I first heard other, other people that were guys who had survived it. Fast forward, we wind up going up, going across. We get into that building, and now I'm in that building, but I still think I'm in this building. I have no idea you know, yeah. where I am. Come out, there was a there were fire apparatus all over this street. And uh, one of our chiefs says, comes up, and he goes, guys, I want you to get out of here, and I want you to go north. <laughs> I run into some guys over there, and they're like, don't go this way, go back the other way. I walk back over here, I get to the corner back over here, and there's a guy standing there just hanging up his cell phone. I said, can I borrow your phone for a minute? I called my wife at work, 
and I said, my exact words, she says, are you there? I says, yeah, we're here. I don't know if we're going to come home. I just need you to know that I love you. I hung up the phone, I handed this guy his cell phone back, and his head spun around and looked up, and you can see the distance where the North Tower is at that height to the corner. And I, my head snapped back and I looked up, and all I saw was the building start to twist at the top ever so slightly, and then the top 30, 40 floors just li literally liquefied. They just started to just break apart and it started coming down. And I grabbed that guy and I said, holy shit, it's coming down. And I just pushed him in the direction we were going. I got to that corner and it picked me up and it threw me up the block like Superman. Slammed into a fence, face down, and then all you heard was the steel slamming into the ground. It hit it. And I just covered up and then it stopped. And then it was from crazy insanity and noisy to dead silent. Everything you inhaled, you vomited and choked on. I stumbled and walked from that corner and I got two and a half blocks down and a police officer says, I got you brother. And he stands me up, walks me over and I go, I can't see and I can't breathe. And he took me over to an open fire hydrant. I was able to wash my face off a little bit. I turn around from doing that and the guys from my firehouse are standing right next to me. How many guys from your firehouse didn't make it? A total of seven. Uh, the entire engine company was killed except for the guy driving the chauffeur. 50, engine 54 <clears throat> and ladder four, they lost the whole firehouse. They lost 17 guys. Squad 288 and Hazmat, they lost 17 or 18 guys. Um, now 10 and 11 guys was like a normal number. After 9-11, for the first year, you were either at work, at the pile, working, digging, um, helping out with a family, or doing something, something related to September 11th. Is it just debris, just moving debris and wheelbarrows? I mean, what are we doing? In the beginning, it was just a like four or five story pile, which is why it became called the pile. Each individual one mounded up this way. Anybody who spent any amount of time down here, um, you're sick. Cancers, asthma, I mean, the list goes on. What, um, what about you? What happened? Is, you, you said you mentioned some health problems. I have asthma, COPD, reactive airway disease, and a condition called uh, bronchiectasis, where all your bronchioles start to enlarge, which makes it harder to, uh, to cough and, and, um, and to get rid of anything that you're sick with. Yeah. That's me, but you could add thousands of guys who have that. You get involved in, in that business, the fire business, yeah. the police business, the military. Um, you're not doing it to get rich. You're not doing it for, for you. It's very self-fulfilling, but there's a give aspect of it. Anybody who's a fireman or police officer or works in any capacity who's down here, we don't need to never forget because I, 
we have days where we're just like, oh my God, I just want to forget for a day. Yeah. The never forget thing is for everybody else. Right. Even the anniversary. Um, the anniversary is not for me. It's for those who died, and it's for everybody else to take a minute out and go, okay, it could have been me. It could have been the building I was in. It could have been my family. You know, people ask, what do we get for the last 20 years? All this warfare, all of this, all of this money spent, all of the taxpayer dollars spent, all of our equipment lost. But you got no more 9-11s. That's what you got. And that's a pretty good deal. That's not nothing. People forget that. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends and go to foppodcast.com for all videos and audio with links to Rumble and SoundCloud. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the AS. I'm not going to lie to you and say there's going to be another podcast. I believe I have Tuesday and Wednesday off next week if everything goes well. So hopefully one of those days, which is at the end of this month, the 28th or the 29th, I'll be able to get on and do a podcast but i can't guarantee that because work is just work right now it definitely wasn't what i signed up for but i'm in it and now i gotta keep going for a while just to get the bills paid off until then thank you for listening and you take care